Welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We're excited to announce that we will now be releasing these episodes every week on Wednesday morning. The best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you listen. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via the Venmo app by sending your donation to at WildHeartNashville, or you can go to WildHeartMeditationCenter.org and click the Donate tab. We also want to announce an upcoming residential retreat, which will be happening in May in North Carolina, May 24th to May 31st. You can find out more information about this retreat at heartwoodrefuge.org. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome everyone to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. For today's mini-sode, I figure I would focus on a more technical talk on mindfulness in the three skills. You know, Buddhism will teach us to not be so objective-oriented with our meditation practice, but I do think there is some value sometimes at asking ourselves the question, why meditate, right? Why get up day after day, sit down, stare at the mind, try to be kind and gentle, compassionate, try to see clearly the patterns to recognize the impermanent nature of our thoughts and our moods and our emotions, to try not to take them personally, Right? Why do all of this? And I do think there's an answer, and there's a good answer. In some ways, we could say that the more we practice, the more we wake up, the more we develop wisdom and compassion. These are the two wings of the Buddhist path, seeing clearly and responding wisely. I also like a list that was designated by a meditation teacher named Shinzen Young, on mindfulness and the three skills. So this is what I wanted to talk about today. Now this is gonna be my interpretation of the three skills, not necessarily what Shinzen Young taught, but I think this is a great way to talk about what do we get out of meditation. So I'll name the three skills and then we'll go over them briefly and talk about how to practice them and um, how they function within the scope of mindfulness. The three skills are focus, sensory clarity, and equanimity. And so when I think about focus, the first thing I think about is being in school and having a teacher tell me to pay attention, right? Like usually I'm focusing on something that I don't want to focus on. Like focus seems like it has a negative uh, association with it. <laughs> One, because I never feel like I'm good at it. Two, because I'm always trying to focus when I don't want to focus, right? So meditation can kind of bring in this almost adolescent-like rebellion to it. Like sit down, focus on the breath. Well, guess what? The mind has other plans. It doesn't want to focus. So I always tell people the best grade when beginning a meditation practice is like a C- minus on the focus. You want to just try to be more here than somewhere else. And what do we mean by here? We mean aware of the present experience. So even being aware of thoughts can be a moment of focus. If you know that you're thinking, that's a moment where you're aware. Now, if you're off in a thought and unaware of it, that's a moment of maybe mindlessness, which is not what we're trying to cultivate. 
So focus is just about tuning into the present experience, whether it's thoughts, emotions, sensations. Now, I will say, even though we can be aware of thoughts, and we could call that a moment of focus, usually you want to start off with something that's more rudimentary, like the breath or the sensations of the weight of your hands resting or the sensation of hearing the sounds that are arising and passing in the moment. I oftentimes call these anchors because it's much like a ship has an anchor. It doesn't necessarily stay directly above the point it's anchored to. The ship still moves around and wiggles around a little bit in the water. And the point of having an anchor or a home base in meditation practice is it's a point to return back to. It's so we don't get so lost in the planning, in the remembering, the daydreaming, the fantasizing. So definition of focus, it's an ability to find, place, and sustain your attention where you consider it to be relevant at a given time. So the most important thing to know about focus is that it is a skill. Oftentimes we think that if you're 100% attentive to the breath, then you're meditating correctly. But the fact of the matter is, is that meditation is about practicing focus. It's not always about having the experience of concentration. So we work on it a little bit at a time. We're developing in what the Buddha's language is uh, referring to as samadhi or the Pali Sanskrit. Samadhi means a collectedness of awareness. So we're just trying to almost like cattle herd our awareness into a simple rudimentary object like the breath or the weight of your hands or the sounds that are happening in the present experience. As you start to be able to find your attention when it's wandering, to tell your mind not right now, to return your attention back to your breath and then to sustain it with the breath for let's say two or three cycles of breathing in and breathing out, over time those small moments of focus build more continuity, they build habit. So that means that over time your mind will become more still during meditation, especially if you're practicing daily. Your awareness will become more collected and this serves a few functions in what we're trying to accomplish in the meditation practice. One is it serves the function of calm or tranquility. One thing that they know in neuroscience is that your attention can only be in one place at a time. So this myth around multitasking is really that when you're doing multiple things, you're shifting your attention very rapidly between multiple tasks. And what we try to do is to use this ability to place our attention to our benefit, to train our attention to be with just one thing at a time, just the breath. As we place it on a stable anchor over time, that stability of the breath starts to become calming, relaxing, sometimes even to the degree where we start to become a little bit tired, and then we have to increase our curiosity in the breath. How do I stay present even though it's so relaxing and calming that now I want to start to drift off into sleep? The more your attention is collected, the more calm, tranquility, relax, relaxation you'll start to develop, and the more you start to feel relaxed, the more calm and tranquil your mind becomes, the easier it is to see the movements of the mind. So it's almost like as you start to still the mind, 
you can see when it's wandering off more quickly, more clearly. So then it jumps into a plan and you can see, oh, now I'm wandering. You catch it a little bit quicker. So concentration in the traditional sense, it supports insight or vipassana, which in Pali Sanskrit means to look into the nature of something. The more calm and tranquil the mind is, the more clearly we can see the nature of the mind is one way to put it. Second reason for developing focus is it helps to break the addiction to the thinking mind. So I've heard it said we have between 50 to 70,000 discrete thoughts in one day. I don't know if that's true, but I would agree at least a few thousand thoughts swim through my head on a daily basis. And the attention follows thoughts most of the time. Just take you know, five minutes in a Zoom meeting to recognize that you're no longer listening to whoever's talking, right? You are often your own plans or memories or stories or associations that the mind's making with what you're hearing in the moment. So, so much of the time our attention is, I don't think it's too strong to say that it's addicted to thinking. And there can oftentimes be this urgency of mind, this kind of obsessiveness like for any of the meditators out there, have you noticed that when you try to disengage from a thought, to let a thought pass, sometimes there's almost this fear that we're gonna forget it. Oh, I had a really important idea, or that was a really great uh, thing that I need to put on my calendar. I don't wanna forget it. So we don't wanna let go of our thinking mind because it always has this urgency to it. And so sometimes this develops into obsessiveness and it also develops into this impulse to act. We act on our thoughts because we're hooked into them a lot of the time, right? Like when we have a, a resentment in our mind, we're oftentimes arguing with this person before we ever talk to them on the car ride over there, or maybe we'll never talk to them, but we're still having the argument in our mind. So sometimes there's this obsessiveness and this impulsivity it causes us to be reactive when we're too caught up in our thoughts and there's also a potency to the story of our thoughts right thoughts aren't just thoughts in mindfulness we try to see them as just thoughts but when we don't have mindfulness they become a story about me and my life and my relationships and my self-worth there's a lot of uh, concepts that we formulate around the stories in our mind, the thoughts in our mind. So breaking the addiction of the thinking mind, I say all of this to say it's a challenging endeavor. You know, we have to really try to set an intention at the beginning of our meditation practice to set aside, as the Buddha says in the discourse, our desires and discontent for the world. Now is not the time to plan or to prepare or to anticipate the future. It's not the time to dwell on our regrets in the past or to mull over the details of last week. It's not the time to fantasize or imagine a life that's different than this life. It's not a time to narrate and endlessly criticize everything that we see during the mindfulness practice. It's a time to really set aside our desire and discontent for the world. The third benefit of practicing mindfulness under the umbrella of focus is it establishes an objective vantage point. So some of y'all may have heard the Viktor Frankl quote, 
between a stimulus and a response, there's a space. Being able to attune to the breath or the body or the sounds it helps to steady the attention, as I said before. So you can see these momentary sensory events more clearly, but from an observer perspective. So as the mind calms down, like I said in the first example of how focus helps us, as the mind calms down, we can start to establish more awareness of our thoughts. And we can practice what is the second skill of mindfulness, which is sensory clarity. So the definition of sensory clarity is an ability to track and monitor moment-to-moment experience and its component parts. One simple way to say this is sensory clarity is what is developed as a result of having awareness. So we could say that the second skill is really awareness or the ability to track and monitor moment-to-moment experience and its component parts. This is simply observing where your attention is in each moment of experience. And the Buddha does this by talking about the six sense doors. So in mindfulness practice, we just observe a thought as a thought, a sensation as a sensation, a sound as a sound, a sight as a sight, a smell as a smell, and a taste as a taste. We try not to overlay it with our concepts or our analysis or our opinions or preferences of it. We just see, oh, thinking. We can start to be more specific and notice planning or remembering, comparing, judging, fixating, self-doubt, narrating. We can start to note the type of thought that's occurring, but the important thing here is that we're not in the story of the thought, we're just aware that the thought's happening. So a simple way to practice this throughout the day is just to practice this simple noting practice. As you're driving down the road and you start to notice that you're caught up in some worry or something that you're afraid about or have some anxiety about, uh, just note the sensation, anxiety. And just note the mental activity is worry. And we don't have to get lost in why we're worrying or what we're worrying about or trying to solve or fix the thing we're worrying about. We can just see it as it is. It's just worry. And there's a time and place where we can, you know, talk to people and process what we're afraid of and so on and so forth. But in the mindfulness practice, we're trying to just utilize this simple awareness. What this helps us to do over time is to develop what I call an observer mind, or like I said earlier, an observer perspective. We start to see this cause and effect relationship between one thought and the next thought, or a sensation, a feeling, and a thought. I may be sitting in meditation and all of a sudden my leg falls asleep and I start to feel an unpleasant pain. And then I start thinking about my meditation cushion, how I wish that I had gotten a thicker mat. And then I start thinking about uh, my finances. You know, oh, maybe if I had a little bit more money, I could buy a better mat. And then I'm thinking about how it's tax season and my taxes are due. Oh shit, I forgot to do my taxes. I gotta call my accountant. And then I'm not even thinking, I'm just so wrapped up in that anxiety that I get off the meditation cushion, head over to my computer and email my accountant. So mindfulness takes a closer look. What really happened there? 
what happened is that there was a sensation in the leg. That sensation, with that sensation, arose an unpleasant feeling. With the feeling arose the thought, I need a new meditation cushion. With the thought led to another thought about finances, which led to another thought about my accountant, which led to a behavior, getting up and going over the computer. So we start to be able to see this causal chain of cause and effect between sensation, feeling, thought, action. And it helps us to disengage from getting too caught up in fulfilling every demand of the thinking mind that I need to react right now, the urgency like I talked about earlier. The third skill that we can develop through mindfulness is equanimity. Now I would say all three of these skills are incredibly important. Focus, sensory clarity or awareness, and equanimity. They're all very important, but I would say where the bread and butter of the mindfulness practices is really in equanimity. The definition of equanimity is the ability to allow sensory experience to come and go without push and pull. It's an inner balance between the extremes of pushing away a sensory experience, which we would call suppression, and being pulled away by the sensory experience, what we maybe would call obsession. So, what we're developing through equanimity, especially in the beginning, is really some distress tolerance. That the mind may feel like I have this urgent need to get up and email my accountant, but can I sit with that impulse without acting on it? You know, can I just feel back into the body, into the breath, soften the contraction, and let that anxiety move through the body and the mind without getting involved. And the reason why this is so important as we develop this ability to quote unquote, be with the present experience without push or pull, we start to see that all parts of the present experience are impermanent. So there may be real life things that we have to tend to, but during meditation, we set aside the need to act on them and we start to see that our thoughts and feelings and emotions, sensations, they all arise and pass on their own. One of my Dharma teachers used to say, if you don't act on a feeling, a feeling will self-liberate. If all things are impermanent, a pleasant feeling will eventually turn into an unpleasant feeling. An unpleasant feeling will eventually become a pleasant feeling. And if you don't believe this to be true, the law of impermanence, just sit down and watch. Next time you have a difficult emotion or an unpleasant feeling in your body, next time you have a pleasant emotion or a pleasant feeling in your body, if you sit down and watch and just don't get involved, just see how that process changes over time. This is an important practice in terms of what we call the non-judgmental quality of mindfulness. Now, in mindfulness practice, there's a difference between discernment, which is being able to assess the skillful or unskillful qualities of an action or an experience, versus judgment, which is where we kind of over-personalize what's happening in the mind, in the body, 
and make a story about ourselves, whether we're good or bad for having it or right or wrong for, for it even happening in the first place. So equanimity is also this ability to not be identified with what comes up during the meditation. So the lethargy we experience sometimes in meditation, we feel like, oh, I'm so lazy or I'm always so fatigued or so tired. We put this I am in front of it. I'm so tired all the time. We create a story that's unnecessary. Instead of saying I am, we try to say there is. So without judgment, it means to say, oh, there is tiredness in the mind. Not to assign a personal label to it or a story about it. So this means that we don't judge the mind for being reactive. So if I'm sitting and there's pain and then the mind wanders into a thought and then I want to get up and leave the meditation cushion, I'm not trying to take personal that my animal body doesn't like to feel pain. I instead just see, oh, there is sensation. There is the anxiety around my finances. There is the story that my mind's telling me about uh, needing to email someone. There is the impulse to act. We just notice what's there without judging it. Bhikkhu Analyo says in his book on the Satipatthana, which are the four foundations of mindfulness, this non-interfering quality of mindfulness, he's talking about equanimity, is required to enable one to clearly observe the building up of reactions and their underlying motives. As soon as we become overly involved in the reaction or assign a story to it, the detached observational vantage point of mindfulness is immediately lost. This type of receptivity of awareness in mindfulness enables us to step back from the situation and become an unbiased observer of the entire experience. Maintaining the presence of mindfulness in this way is closely related to the ability to tolerate a high degree of cognitive dissonance since when we witness our shortcomings ordinarily, it leads to unconscious attempts to reduce the feelings of discomfort by avoiding or altering the information. What Analio is saying here, and I think what the Buddha is teaching through mindfulness, is that we're not trying to get overly involved in fixing, changing, or altering whatever we're experiencing. This is fucking hard. This is by far the hardest thing to teach people about mindfulness. Our job is not to fix, alter, or change whatever is being experienced. It is this awareness that whatever is being experienced will change on its own terms, in its own time. Sensations arise and pass, feelings arise and pass, thoughts arise and pass. The practice in mindfulness is not to get involved. It's not the time to problem solve, to fix, to plan. Sure, there's a time and place. But during meditation, we sit and practice letting it be. And that's the way I like to think about equanimity. It's not a letting it go, which sometimes can have this aversion to it, can it? Like anyone ever tell you when you're upset about something that, well, you don't have any control over it. Just let it go. That's kind of dismissive and sometimes can be spiritually bypassing or have a lot of aversion. Like, I don't really want to feel your discomfort around this. So uh, if you just let it go, you would feel better. I would feel better with you. 
Instead, let it be is a lot more, I think, on the nose here. Let it be means that I'm willing to be with the sensations, the emotions, the feelings that I'm experiencing without needing to fix, solve, or resolve them right away. There is a lot of power in that type of approach to our human condition. What would it be like to allow our emotions, our experiences to have a natural process without having to force a solution or resolution to them? Or the other extreme is without resisting and avoiding and escaping our discomfort altogether. So equanimity is, it means in Pali Sanskrit, there in the middleness. It's about balance. It's about the point between obsession and suppression. Can I be with it with this experience without getting lost in it? And also, can I be with it instead of avoiding it? Couple practical ways to practice the three skills. With focus, it's probably the most simple, which is, like I said earlier, to find an object, what we call an anchor, to serve as your home base for your attention when you're meditating. That way you have a reference point. When your mind wanders off, you know to recognize the thought without judgment, to tell the mind not right now, thanks for sharing, and to return your attention back to the breath, for example, and to sustain your attention with the breath for as long as you can. One breath, two breaths, three breaths, and then it's off again, and we practice all over. The humility of letting go. My friend Mikey said that mindfulness, practicing mindfulness is like one insult after another. We get really good at being insulted by the mind and the lack of control we have over the thinking mind. And the power the thinking mind has to hijack our attention. So we keep just freeing ourselves from the uh, imprisonment of the thinking mind. It hijacks our attention and we take back the attention. We say, gently, not right now, come back. Here's the breath. So you've got to kind of give the attention something to do, right? You've got to give it an object, a home base, a secure base, something that's reliable and consistent like the breath. So when you practice this first skill of mindfulness, use the breath as an anchor. Return back. Try to connect and sustain. See how long you can stay there. And then it's not a different practice, but within the same mindfulness practice, we also develop the sensory clarity or awareness. We don't just want to focus on the breath. We want to be able to see the nature of the thinking mind. Right? We want to be able to recognize the patterns, to be able to start to wake up to, oh, the mind is planning right now. Oh, there might be some fear, some anxiety in the body right now. Oh, there's fear in the body right now. There's anxiety in the body. There's sensation. We start to develop this ability to, instead of reacting from the mind, relate to the mind. To see it for what it is and one way to practice with this is called a noting practice just to assign a simple label or note whenever you notice the attention is not on the breath you can make it really simple just wandering or thinking 
Or you can be a little more specific, planning, remembering, daydreaming, fantasizing, narrating. And then we can just note those patterns and behavior of the thoughts without getting too caught up in what the mind is thinking about. The me, the my life, my future, the thing I have to do, the thing I might forget to do. That's all me, 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 me. So to just note it as planning is more rudimentary and it's simple. We can see it as a pattern rather than be lost in the story. The way to practice around equanimity is to actually include some of these heart practices that we've learned through the Buddha's teaching. More important than what you're aware of during mindfulness practice is how you're aware of it. So I notice my mind's thinking, but am I doing that in a gentle, non-judgmental way? Can I let it be? Okay, the mind's thinking, that's all right. How is that? Soften the relationship to that. May you be at ease, mind. May I be at ease with the thinking mind to develop that quality of a friendly and kind relationship to the experience. And sure, we don't have to just endlessly follow the thought. When the time comes, we say, thanks for sharing and not right now, also with equanimity. So we shift our attention back to the breath, but we do it in a non-reactive way. And if you notice reactivity when you're meditating, try to be non-reactive to the reactivity. If you notice, man, I'm really shitting on myself today. My mind is really mean and critical. Okay, try to be kind and gentle towards the critical mind. Right? We can never judge ourselves out of judgment or hate ourselves into being better people. That's the Buddha's teaching. Hatred doesn't cease by hatred. At some point, we have to intervene with a little bit of love and compassion, at least some softness, gentleness, and maybe it's more sterile form. We would just call it non-reactive awareness, non-judgmental awareness. At some point, the non-judgment's gotta come in. So how we practice equanimity is try to incline the awareness towards a soft and gentle relationship. So, okay, there's pain in the knee. May I be at ease with this pain? Is it okay to sit with it? And just notice it as sensation. The mind wants to call it pain, but what does it really feel like? Pressure, tension, contraction? How is that to sit with that, to soften around that, to notice that the sensation is not a thing, it's a verb, it, it has movement to it. It's sharp here, it's light there, it's hard here, it's soft there, it has pressure here, it's lighter there. Start to notice the actual nature of the experience with this equanimity. Let it be, let it change, let it move on on its own. So I hope this is helpful. It's a lot of information, but it's something I've found useful over the years, something that's been adapted from Shinzen Young's teaching on the three skills. Why practice mindfulness over time? It helps us to develop focus. That focus helps us to become more calm, to break our addiction to the thinking mind, to develop more of an objective vantage point in which we can view the thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Mindfulness helps us develop sensory clarity, this observer perspective, being able to note the process, 
thoughts are thoughts, feelings, feelings, sensation, sensation, sound, sound, taste, taste, smell, smell. And it helps us to develop equanimity, the ability to be with whatever we're experiencing without push or pull. And when there is push or pull, try to be with the push or pull without push or pull. At some point, intervening with a kind, gentle, radically accepting relationship. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. 